The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. To Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, I'm your host JP John Paz. This is another edition, of course, of Who Is joining me here, the second man in the booth and the only other man in the booth this week, Mister J himself, the Doctor himself. He is Michael P.S. Jargo. Michael, how are you doing today, sir? I'm having a weird case of deja vu, Paz, because I could have swore we did this topic once before. I literally went through every show we did, my notes, went through the uh, so did the I. Feet. The two-man power trophy, and I was like, no. But promo, I had a lot of these guys on the promo list, so maybe that's where the confusion came. Maybe. Well, hopefully we can make this entertaining for the listeners, because I feel like we've had this conversation, and I feel like everybody knows where we're going to end up. But, you know, it's always a good time to sit down and talk a little bit of pro wrestling with my good friend, John Paz. Yes, and of course today, who is the greatest manager in the history of the business? I know there's always a lot of debate. Certain names come up to the top. It's funny, a lot of current fans will will only talk about a certain current manager in wrestling, and they'll say he's the greatest of all time. Obviously, us, a little bit more old school, we kind of lean towards other guys. Rick, who's not here, unfortunately, he's, uh, he's working. He would obviously lean towards Jimmy Cornette. So it's just interesting. I think each person kind of has their own different thought on what's a great manager. Current fan would definitely say Paul Heyman. Rick would say Cornette. Maybe I'm not probably sure on that. Else. Really? I'm not sure because I know Huckleberry, while he has his love for Jim Cornette, I also know how fond he is of Sherry. And oh, uh, good point. Good point. I, I have a feeling he might go with Sherry in this one. Damn. Uh, you know what? It's funny. I was thinking that too. I was like, you know, he might throw a curveball and say Sherry because he remember he, he always brought her up. We'd be talking about WrestleMania 7, you know, and then he'd be like, yep. Sherry stole the show, WrestleMania 7. You know, he always brings up Sherry. And no disrespect to the sensational Sherry. She was a fantastic manager. I have her on my list. Yes, you know, I mean, especially when she was doing that run with HBK, she was so vital to that early run of Shawn Michaels. But then she also had runs with Flair. She had runs with Honky Tonk. She had runs with Jake. She had runs with DiBiase. I mean, like the people that were with sensational Sherry, it's just a Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. Do you think that sometimes it's like who's with the person will enhance their, you know, quote unquote, great manager? You know what I mean? Like, let's, you know, Andre's with Heenan. Like, okay, that's a kind of enhance. Did you think that matters or you don't think that matters? Oh, I think it matters um, because it's not like Andre needed a manager. Right. Right. Like there's there's some people who do not need a manager. One of the names that I'm sure we're going to talk about, Paul Heyman. Right. Brock Lesnar does not need a manager. I think he's actually proving that right now. Roman Reigns does not need a manager. Like these guys can talk. They can cut their own promos. It's just a great manager will enhance that act even more so. Um, And when I think about some of the names under Sherry, right? Like none of them do I think immediately, oh, that was their best run while Sherry was with them, but they were absolutely vital runs to their careers to get them to where they needed to be. Uh, One of the names I didn't mention 
Harlem Heat. I mean, she took two guys, you know, that were kind of a, a mid-card tag team, turned them into seven-time champs, right? I mean, like, I, I feel like Sherry was so vital in that rise that when I think of Harlem Heat, it's not the first thing I think of, but when I think of the rise of Harlem Heat, Sherry's absolutely there. I also love that she was a great bump taker. You know what I mean? Like, she'll absolutely. get in there with the guys. You know what I mean? She's taking bumps like crazy. Yeah, and, and it was a great way for – the heels that were working with Sherry to have justification for everything else that they were possibly going to do. Cause you know, if you hit Sherry, Oh my God, all, all bets are off. And the thing that was cool was like, she's not taking like the, you know, the girl, the sissy bump or the, ooh, the fall in the apron or, you know, whatever she's taking some like beatings from these guys. I mean, Hogan's throwing her around warriors, throwing her around. She could take it. Yeah. She could take it easily. Like one of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. She's one of them that it makes me wonder, like when we, we talked about the uh, Wendy Richter thing before, right? Mm -hmm. Where would Sherry have been had that not happened? Like had the WWF not decided to just basically do the swimsuit models, if they were going to have a legit women's division, how great Sherry could have been. If you do Wendy Richter right there. Yeah. If uh, Moolah didn't do the old screw jab. Yep, exactly. And set women's wrestling back, you know, 40 years. Which was, you know, a different story for a different day. But it's interesting because Sherry still, which is how great she is, she still found a very prominent role, despite the fact that it kind of, you know, cut her legs out from underneath her a little bit. Yep. But it's sad that, that you know, we when we, I think of Sherry anyway, I think of her as a manager. I don't think yep. of her as an in-ring talent. Yep. If she would have had the opportunity to be an in-ring talent, I'm very curious where her career would have ended up. And I was just watching Clash of Champions 32, The Wedding with Colonel Robert Parker. So she can do a little comedy as well. But then break it off when Medusa interferes in The Wedding and they start brawling like, you know, Disco Inferno scared. Like, you know what I mean? It's like she can go from comedy to scary. You know, very good. I mean, great. Oh, yeah. Scary Sherry, sensational Sherry. Which one were you going to get, right? Yep. Yeah. I thought that was so funny. Colonel Rob Parker, I put very, very low on my list, but I put him on here just because I always thought he was such an entertaining manager and such like a quick wit, quick talker, like just, you know, foghorn leghorn, if you will. I mean, he's just perfect uh, manager for. You uh, had to be doing research. Why were you watching Clash of the Champions 32? Just like that just uh, seems random, pause. For uh, for Kevin Sullivan, for Taskmaster Talk. Gotcha. I was just like, I could see pause. (laughs) Like, ladies and gentlemen, this is how I think of John Paz. It's like, oh, it's Wednesday afternoon at one o'clock. I'm going to think I'm going to watch clash of the champions 32. <laughs> I've got nothing else to do. I used to, uh, like years ago, just go through all my, cause I used to have everything on tape and then, uh, DVD. I used to go through like clash of champions. Like, Oh, it's a random clash of champions. And it's like plug it in. Be like, I haven't seen this in a while, but yeah, that was because of Sully. It's watching, uh, getting some recap for him. I used to do that with the WWE network. I don't do yeah, it with back the when it was good anymore. I don't do it with the peacock. I don't like the peacock. I don't like the way it's set up. It's so confusing. Yeah. I was watching something and I was and somebody was telling me how to find it. And I'm like, if I'm super wrestling fan, Super Mark is asking you to help me find it, I was like, everyone else is doomed. Because like like I would be obsessed with this thing if I didn't have to ask somebody, hey, how do I find Taboo Tuesday? Uh, oh, you gotta go under blah 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 and then uh season two. Like, what the fuck? It gets yeah. horrible. Just do it by years. It makes life yep. so much easier. Man, so the network, I remember it was like, you want to watch Royal Rumble? <laughs> All the years were there. Well, and I mean, even New Japan World, I can just click on, you know, okay, I want 1994. And I can just scroll through all the events from 1994. And if you haven't watched the 94 Super J Cup, what the hell's wrong with you? Come on. He's one of the greatest of all time. Absolutely. Maybe the most tape jaded tape of all time. Yeah, as well it should be. Some great wrestling on that. So, Sherry, we, uh, excuse me, Sherry we mentioned kind of briefly mentioned Paul Heyman. What do you think? What do you think? He's he's in my very, very top of my list. Not like tippy top, but near the top. Is Heyman very high on your list as well? Oh, he's got to be. I mean, Paul Heyman, I, to me, I mean, you're talking like, you know, top two or three, right? I mean, like he has had such an incredible run. And the Paul Heyman guy thing is been a real thing when you look back over the course of the years. I mean, whether, whether it was on screen or not, right? Like I was even listening to, did you see something to wrestle with? Bruce Pritchard dropped a 10 hour episode about the undertaker. 
Whoa. 10 hours. And as I'm listening to it, like they're kind of going through like the, the early background of the character and they start talking about how, you know, mean Mark was a Paul Heyman guy, you know? And it's yeah. like, when you, when you really think about all the people that Heyman has been associated with over the course of the years, it's just an incredible run of talent. Um, what he has done with Brock Lesnar, what he's done with Roman Reigns, what he did with CM Punk. I mean, but I, I feel like the thing with Paul Heyman is the talent that he's working with and how much he has to play with personality wise. That's why it didn't work with Curtis Axel. That's why it didn't work with Cesaro. He's got to have somebody that's as good as Paul Heyman to bounce stuff back and forth off of whether yeah. it's, you know, the, the, the satiristic personality of punk or just the intimidation of Lesnar or Roman, they're all very, very different. Paul Heyman is just fantastic at his job. I, even what he did Friday night on SmackDown, I, I thought that was some of the most intriguing WWE television in 2021. Crazy that the basically three guys are carrying the ship, Lesnar, Reigns, and Heyman right now. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And Heyman's the most interesting one of the three. He is very interesting right now because you don't know where his allegiances lie, where he's going to end up. Is he going to retire as a manager? Is this a swerve? Is he going to end up back with Lesnar? We don't know. It's very interesting because he's still got the Royal Rumble and then WrestleMania because this Lesnar Reigns feud, which apparently is drawing really well. And they ended up selling, I think it was over 5,000 extra tickets at the box office after that main event was announced. So it's kind of big business. I wonder if they're going to keep it going. Hopefully it happens. That's another thing. I heard that, uh, well, keep our fingers crossed, but they're trying to make sure that it happens no matter what. Yeah, that's that's a scary kind of situation right there. Yep. What's going on in the, that company right now. Yep. So Heyman's definitely very high up on the list. Paul has been great. To me, for a while, he was kind of stagnated. He was cutting the same promos over and over, but I feel like Reigns kind of reinvigorated, reinvigorated him, and he kind of got back into the swing of things. Who's but, who's your favorite pairing with Paul when, when you look back over the course of the years? Because like I love the CM Punk stuff. I was going to say, maybe Punk. That was so different because you didn't expect it either. And it, it was just the... the the battle of wits, like, you know, even though they're trying to prove the same point, both of them wanted to shine over the other guy on the microphone just to prove yeah. how freaking good they were. And I mean, it's just the, the two of them cutting promos together was absolutely incredible stuff. Although I love Lesnar. He might've had the best line ever. He, when he threw the mic at him and he goes, say something stupid, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love those. Uh, the, the one line Brock Lesnar promos are, are some of my favorites. My personal favorite Brock Lesnar promo is I don't give a shit about your kids. <laughs> Like, I thought that was just the perfect promo. And he Slater was, was the perfect guy. That was awesome. And then he, uh, when he almost like cracked against um, R Truth. Yeah. And R Truth said, that he's like, Oh, I'm not wrestling you. <laughs> like, you could tell Lesnar was like kind of laughing. He's like, What the hell? Yeah. Boombox Lesnar is one of my yeah. favorite Lesnar's. Yep. Yeah. Great stuff. Like, like actually, Brock never needed Paul Heyman. That's like one of the biggest misconceptions in the history yeah. of pro wrestling. Brock Lesnar can talk. It's just they don't trust him with a live microphone. Yeah. UFC found out uh, that the uh, the hard way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I loved the uh, Sami Zayn Brock like interaction. I thought that was great. I love when you have a chicken shit heel who pretends he's tough, and then when like the big bad ombre shows up, they're like totally full of shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm in, very much enjoying the buddy cop movie with Sami Zayn and Brock Lesnar. Yeah, yeah. The two, what are they? The two uh, uh, alpha males from Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's and Sami Zayn is so criminally underrated that the, the problem is you're going to have to turn him babyface after this, right? Like, I don't know. I would think so, right? I would think unquestionably. So. He's got to win that IC title back too. Only if it happens on New Year's. Sami Zayn's new gimmick, I figured it out, Paz. He only wins on holidays. Hmm, interesting. It's going to be New Year's. And I, I think it's Nakamura versus him on uh, day one. Yep, so you had the, the Thanksgiving Battle Royal. Sami Zayn wins. You have the Christmas Gauntlet match. Sami Zayn wins. Day one against Nakamura. Sami Zayn wins. The only problem is now he's going to be screwed until, like, Memorial Day. True. Gotta love Sami. Um... Now, I just want to throw this out there because you mentioned Undertaker being a Heyman guy. Yeah. I just interviewed Brett Sawyer. Everyone, please check out that interview. Very good stuff. Buzz Sawyer's little brother. Territory wrestler, former NWA national champion, 
literally wrestled Oregon, Mid-South, uh, WCW for a cup of coffee. I mean, he was everywhere. So I said, hey, what's the story with Undertaker? You know, he's always bad-mouthing your brother, saying he took his money. He's saying that story is a lie. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. So I don't know what to believe, but he was saying, and he goes into way more detail in, in the interview, but he basically said Undertaker's been lying all these years because he didn't want to admit Buzz stretched him, and he didn't want to come back after that because he hurt him. So, but he goes into more detail. I was like, oh, interesting. He said, why would he want to admit that? It makes him sound bad. But if Buzz is dead, he could bury Buzz and say he's going to kick his ass. Interesting. Interesting. I never heard that before. So an interesting twist. Who knows if it's true or not, but just an interesting little twist. Well, clearly, you know, Mark, if you're out there, you're going to have to reach out to Paz and see if you can schedule some time with him so you can come on and tell your side of the story. And don't be pissed at me. He was Brett Sawyer that said it. Just the reporter. Just the reporter. I just thought that was interesting because I thought he was going to say, oh, yeah, Buzz skipped out or whatever. And he was saying it's not true. So interesting. Um, but let's go to another man. And we mentioned before, what about Jimmy Cornette? I mean, Cornette's got to be on the list, right? I mean, he's very high on mine. He's in my he, top five. Top five. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. I, Cornette was kind of the epitome of drawing heat, right? I mean, like. And even still to this day, Cornette's got heat with me. Like, I just, I, I don't like Jim Cornette. I don't like anything that comes out of his mouth. It's just, it's Jim Cornette. And, you know, maybe that's what he's been going for all these years. Maybe he's just a dick. Um, I, Corny's absolutely high on the list. Just not necessarily my flavor, not necessarily my cup of tea. I've always thought Cornette's mind is incredible. I've never liked the Jim Cornette promo. And the reason I've never liked the Jim Cornette promo is because I always feel like Jim Cornette's yelling at me. I I just want him to turn it down just a little bit. So then when he turns it up, it means something. I, I've just, I've always thought that he was an overrated promo. The same thing. He's got that Dolph Ziggler thing where it's like, Dolph, just stop yelling at me. Stop. Just, just, you don't have to cut every promo like this and show how intense you are. Just calm down, man. So then when you turn it up, it actually means something. What about those awesome promos in 97 and 98 when he was talking about, you know, just basically shooting on everybody for WWF and saying he hated living in Connecticut. He hated working there. Those promos were awesome. Yeah, those promos are awesome. But I just, I've never been a fan. And I'm right now with Dan Lambert and AEW. It's the same thing where a, a lot of people absolutely love Dan Lambert and they love his promo style. And it just doesn't do anything for me. Um, Cornette, when he was running with the Rock and Roll Midnight feud and Cornette kind of being at the center of all that, I always thought that was the best run of Jim Cornette that I ever saw. Uh, That and the stuff with Kevin Steen inside of Ring of Honor, I thought was absolutely incredible. But at that point, Cornette's playing more of an authority figure than a manager. I always liked him better in that kind of a role as, you know, an office stooge as opposed to a manager, unless it was between rock and roll and midnight. I don't know. I always love Cornette. I thought he's one of the best. I love the racket. I love when he would take bumps. Uh, I love when he would deliver offense. It's just something about him I always jived with. I know you saying the yelling. I could see that for sure. Um, but just too over the top for me. He could definitely be over the top for sure. I just, I always thought he was one of the best. I always enjoyed him. Such a quick wit too. Like if you said anything, he's like, boom, right back at you. It's crazy. Here's the, the, the perfect comparison and we can kind of segue here. Ooh, my phone's ringing. My bad. Um, Bobby, the brain Heenan, right? Bobby, Bobby the Brain Brain and Jim Cornette, very much the same kind of person, but Bobby would turn it down, right? And then when Bobby would turn it up, that's when you knew that it really, really meant something, right? Like, to me, Jim Cornette was Bobby Heenan, but over the top all the time. And while that's great to have, you know, your own kind of style, your own sense of where you want to go with your character, I I always preferred Bobby the Brain Heenan and his style of being a bit more reserved and way more chicken shit when it came to being a manager. Um, I, I One of my issues with Cornette was it was it almost became eye rolling, kind of like Gato with evil, you know, where it's just like, oh, 
again, Dick Togo with the wire. Uh, yeah, we're going to take out the knee now. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, it, it becomes eye-rolling at a certain point. I always preferred somebody like Heenan that was just a bit more of a stooge rather than uh, getting his offense. So Bobby Heenan, I had listed first, not necessarily going to be number one, but I had him listed first, first guy I really thought of, and then the Cornette name and a couple other guys too. But it was one of those things, it's like, he's got to kind of almost just be on the, the thought of the mind when you say greatest managers because he just did everything so well. Even even the bump taking, which I love, which is like an extra added bonus, but the promos were perfect. His facial expressions were perfect. Just, just like the way he would look and leer at the crowd, weasel, weasel. You know, he, he, know, he knew how to get a reaction. He was the, the perfect manager. I know some guys like Andre and Rick Rude, even perfect to a certain extent when he's with perfect, like maybe these guys don't need a manager, but hell, why not? Give him some extra heat, um, throw some more uh, shrimp on the bobby and get some more uh, flames going with with, uh, with Heenan. It doesn't hurt. You know what I mean? Like Rick Rusey, I can cut my own promos, but it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's Bobby the brain. Yeah. And to me, like the perfect pairing was Bobby Heenan and, and Kurt Henning, right? Like those two, they didn't, neither one needed the other guy. But I just thought they enhanced each other's acts so much. Like it, when I think of my Bobby Heenan guys, Mr. Perfect is the top of my list. I know a lot of people go to Andre. Um, yeah. The other thing that helps with Heenan is the fact that he was in a feud with Hulk Hogan for like, you know, 25 years. I mean, when you have a feud that is that long of storytelling that spans over the course of three different companies going from the AWA to the WWF to WCW babyface heel doesn't matter. Bobby Heenan hated Hulk Hogan, the biggest name in the history of the sport. I mean, when you're, when you're posed opposite of Hulk Hogan for 25 years, it absolutely elevates you up the list doesn't hurt at all i mean obviously he's gonna bump you up big time and hogan loved him because hey he's saying all this stuff but it's all money generating it's nothing real or personal it's all to generate money and generate those butts in those seats it was all about that and heenan knew how to do that expertly and hogan was the perfect foil for for heenan and vice versa well, and that's why Bobby Heenan has gotten so much crap over the course of the years for whose side is he on when Hogan came out at Bash at the Beach. Never that minded was, it. I know because it was Bobby Heenan that said it. If anybody else would have said it, you know, then it would have seemed completely absurd. But for Bobby Heenan to say it, who was always telling you that Hogan was a dirtbag, it made absolute sense that he wouldn't be the guy to trust Hulk Hogan coming to save WCW. And coming... Dusty shoots him down too, which is great. Of course, down, yeah, yeah. Like, would you be serious, right? Yeah. It, it's the Gorilla Monsoon thing. It, it's yep. just, come on, you, you're, you're being ridiculous. You're just being Bobby Heenan and, and ripping on Hogan. Of course, he's coming to save the day. And oh wait, Bobby Heenan was right. Can and boy, did Bobby Heenan not hesitate to tell you how <laughs> right he was. Yep, pretty awesome. Pretty great moment. Heenan was, I don't know, just perfect because why would you ever get out of that character? You know what I mean? Don't get ever out of that mode. Stay on it. I was right. It's a piece of crap. I told you. It's perfect. Well, and I, I think it is understated how good of a worker Bobby Heenan was when he actually was working. But when you look at like all three eras of Bobby Heenan, whether he was the in-ring performer, a manager, or a commentator, it was just a very much a continuation of that character for 40 years yeah pretty much which is great because it's not like you're quote-unquote playing a goofy character you're, you're being yourself turned up and maybe sometimes turned down yep pretty genius yeah and and that's why it worked he, he was believable he was authentic even when he was just being the weasel right and just just freaking out over people calling him a weasel that that was bobby heenan it was fantastic Cornette considers himself to be a bit of a protege of Heenan, absolutely loves Bobby the Brain. Bobby the Brain kind of was a protege of Bobby Davis, the old manager for um, the Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, which is interesting. It was kind of like the first manager that really kind of um, made a big name for himself. It was a, was a big heel, uh, was a big star without wrestling. You know, it was definitely different for the day, but he helped. Buddy Rogers went some matches, did some cheating. I mean, he kind of laid the groundwork for what would be the Bobby Heenan's of the world and your typical heels. Do you put Bobby Davis at all up on the list or you just have to really mention him because of historical purposes? I mean, I, I think you have to put him on the list, but he's kind of an also ran because we just didn't see it. 
right? right. Like, I mean, if, if there was more video footage, if it, we would have lived through it in real time, I think that he would be much higher on the list than where we have him now. It's just, we, we didn't get to see a whole lot of it. it. It's one of those where you, you read the mythology of it and you can absolutely see where everybody has kind of copied that character, especially with the nature boy character over the course of the years. I mean, hell, even Heenan was with flair, right? I mean, and it was absolutely brilliant. And I'm sure it was very much the same kind of dynamic that you had back then. We just didn't get to see a whole lot of it. So another name I was thinking of old school to the bone, of course. What about classy Freddie Blassie? And there's another one, right? Like when, when you look at these characters that were kind of patented after Davis, I feel like Freddie Blassie is absolutely in the yep. side of that conversation as well. Um, I wish that I remembered more of Freddie Blassie before he became a manager. Like he obviously could work the crowd so damn well as a manager. How much of him in ring do you remember, Paz? Hardly anything. It's you, just too old and I haven't really seen much of the footage. I just read articles and books and stuff that he's one of the best, one of the best heels, probably the best heel in Los Angeles history or, you know, in the Hollywood area during that territory, just like he would, you know, take over promotions at West, but don't remember seeing too much of him as far as footage wise, as far as his like prime. Does that seem weird to you? I mean, I because it seems like, I don't know. It's almost weird. It's like almost par for the course, like Pat Patterson. It's like, I've seen him wrestle a bunch, yeah, but like that's true. early prime stuff you can't even find. So it's weird. Some of those territories like suck as far as tape um, tapes are concerned and seeing the, the footage. Yeah, absolutely. But when you look just at him as a, a manager's run, Nikolai Volkov, Peter Maivia, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura, when he was with the Sheik. I mean, like, Blassie's was just absolutely fantastic at drawing mega freaking heat. Like, I probably the closest thing I can get to now is what? Vicky Guerrero? <laughs> right. You know, like, it, it's crazy the amount of heat that that guy would get on a microphone. You know, it's crazy to me. It's like if you have an LJN and correct me if I'm wrong here, if you or if you think differently, if you have an LJN, you're immortalized. So I feel like classy Freddie Blanche <laughs> because he has an LJN. He's immortalized forever. But again, you'll only really think of him as a manager because of that figure. Right. Yeah. No, I wish I would have gotten to see more of his in-ring stuff. Yep. Because I've read all this stuff like the Bastille world champion for you know for a long time he was such a great heel uh, the bloody matches like all, all this stuff you hear about him and how he was completely different than he was as a manager same as far as like attitude but different as far as he's not gonna be cheesy and stuff he was much more like hardcore than you would think like i, I feel like it crossed somewhere between like 80s flair and you know like a modern yeah. day miz yeah yep you i know? can see that i can see that um so, Clash of Bless, he's definitely on my list. Another guy from that era. What about the Grand Wizard? The Grand Wizard. That's a good one, Pause. That's a good one. Yeah. You're kind of going deep on me, but I like yeah. it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would put him on the list. I hadn't even really, really thought about it. It's crazy, too, because he was the Sheik's manager <laughs> under a different name. He's in WWF, which is crazy. Vince McMahon Sr. is letting him do WWF, and then he's... You know, obviously Ernie Roth, but he's a Grand Wizard in WWF. So it's funny. It's playing like two different characters in two different territories. And he's like a top heel manager. So he, to me, he was always one of those guys where um, I wish you would see more of him, but just such a classic old school heel. It was almost like too easy for him to get over as far as just like getting people to boo him. Yeah. Well, and that was kind of the era too, right? I mean, when you look at WWF at that point, people would play along with stuff. And if you were presented as a heel, people would boo and people weren't looking as so far behind the scenes. It was just more of a what was happening inside of the context of the narrative. And he knew how to go out there and draw heat. And um, Paul Heyman is a, somewhat of a protege of him because, you know, he's backstage in Mass Square Garden taking pictures. He was saying that the Grand Wizard was so nice to him. Sometimes he'd make sure he'd get home okay and like different things. He was just saying that. Ernie Roth kind of like took him under his under his wing. I know he's like a young kid, but he was being a photographer. He saw something in him. And so he's a big fan. He's like, all right, I'll help this kid out. So pretty cool guy, it seemed like. That's that's actually really, really cool. Paul seemed to know everybody in New York at that time. Between know, that between the MSG stuff and the Studio 54 stuff, it, 
I, I hope that one day we get like a, a full on like encyclopedia of uh, the biography of Paul Heyman. Yeah. There was a cool story that he Heyman tells all the time where he was taking pictures backstage. I'm really supposed to do that. That's like they're not like, kind of against what the, the they're supposed to do. They're supposed to K-Fabe be the ringside. Yeah, they're supposed to be the ringside. But Vince McMahon Sr. was talking to Andre. He took a picture. He met, he met Vince because Ernie Roth told him the the uh, restaurant that he went to. So he had to develop and he gave it to him. He thought Vince was going to kill him because, you know, he goes, it was kind of like a risk, like risk reward. Right. It's an awesome picture. Vince is going to love it. Or you're going to hate me because I'm illegally taking pictures backstage. Right. But Vince loved it, and he was like, you can come to the show anytime, kid, or whatever, even though he was really kind of sneaking in anyway. Then now he had, like, the open invite to, to always come in. Yeah, like, I, I want to read a, just a book about Paul being a photographer at Studio 54. Yeah, that's pretty damn interesting. Because I think life. that'd be fascinating. Yeah. What a life for this guy, yeah. Oh, I know, right? Scarsdale surprise. <laughs> what about another one of his buddies? What about Captain Lou Albano? See, uh, Captain Lou... It, He's another guy who's kind of in that Freddie Blassie kind of category for me because I remember Captain Lou a little bit as an in-ring talent, but I remember him so much more as a manager. And I, I feel like he was so cartoony to me, right, when, when I came across him in the 80s. But when you think of his impact when it comes to the rock and wrestling thing, like it's really difficult to say that anybody should be higher on the list for what he did for the business during that run as a manager. Think about that. Yeah. The rock and wrestling with Sydney Lauper playing her dad in the video, um, super Mario brothers, which was big time and playing Mario. I mean, he was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty mainstream. crossover mainstream. Yeah. yeah. I know he did some other stuff too, but I mean, he, that's pretty much the, the high end of it. But I mean, man, he was really mainstream. It's funny that this means nothing, but uh, our family lawyer, his partner was Captain Lou Albano's like attorney, like throughout his whole life. But I wish I was, oh, wow. I wish I knew that more. Cause then I could have got like a ton of autographs and stuff, but I didn't know that until uh, Captain Lou had passed. And he's like, Oh, you didn't tell you guys that he's like uh, my partner. His, uh, his big client was Captain Lou Albano. I was like, God damn it. It was like Captain Lou Albano and like John Starks. <laughs> And much like Paul Heyman, he had a weird kind of affiliation with the Samoans, which yeah. I never, I never quite understood. Like he, he was like an honorary Samoan, which was kind of crazy. He could speak to them somehow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you, you wouldn't see it coming. But then also, the the run was Superfly, right? Like when he was with Superfly, I think that's my favorite Captain Lou Albano. What about when he's with uh, the British Bulldogs, and then Ozzy Osbourne shows up? Well, and. I think what he did to get the Bulldogs over inside of a WWF context can't be understated either. They're amazing, but it's funny. Like in that era, certain guys were getting over and like not being the best wrestlers in the world didn't necessarily mean you're getting over, especially there. I mean, Hogan's not known as being like the greatest worker, but he's the most over right. Bulldogs, probably the two best workers in the roster. Maybe mine is like Brett and perfect and a few other guys, but it's like, okay, these guys are the best guys in the roster. Actually, perfect wasn't even there yet. Nixed that part, but, and Brett wasn't the best <laughs> in the world at that point. No, no, but it's funny. They, those two definitely were uh, oh, dynamite. Yeah. Definitely dynamite was. was. Yeah. So it's like, okay, how do we get these guys over? Captain Lou. So yeah, yeah very important. Yep, and they absolutely. win the tag titles, and nothing, you know the rest is history. They're over like Roger. Uh, and then he that. was with that other guy for a little while too, um, uh, Hogan. Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. He, his name comes up in these conversations every once in a while. Do you remember when uh, Piper shattered that thing over his head? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, okay. Pretty awesome. Hell yes. Great and you bump. know Piper. Great took, looking uh, bump too. Yeah, you know Piper took. Uh, <laughs> Nod did not take it easy on it. <laughs> what was it with Piper hitting people over the head with inanimate objects, right? Uh man, he's so funny. I love that. Like, if you're in there with Piper, this is obviously off track, but you know, like, okay, you're probably getting hit for real. Like, <laughs> be ready for it. Like, how bad I was like, Snooker's like, okay, hit me. Whoa, Jesus Christ. And Captain Lou just didn't feel like he should be hanging out with any of these people. I know. Like, like he just felt like he existed on a different universe you know he's like your old crazy grandpa that's bringing right? up stuff like i remember the godfather the greatest movie of all time you know what i mean like that, that kind of thing it's like 
all right, we're you know we're watching Sopranos over here, right? Like, or, you know, we're watching something else over here. Well, like I always think of, especially when you, you're talking about the territory days, like the guys that would ride in the car together. It's like who's Captain Lou getting in the car with? You know, <laughs> the, like the Samoans. Yeah, and it just seems so odd. It's like you know the Paul Heyman, the fat Jew, rolling around with all the Samoans, and it's like, wait, yep. what? Weird, very weird, strange. What about? Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South. The mouth of the South absolutely has to be right towards the top of the list. Right. And I know yeah. everybody loves his run with Hogan. And that was one of my least favorite Jimmy Hart's, right? Like Jimmy Hart with the honky tonk man is like the epitome of Jimmy Hart to me. That dude had so much freaking heat with me. Oh, I hated yep. Jimmy Hart so freaking much. And it didn't help that I didn't like the honky tonk man either. But then you've also got like the King Kong Bundy thing. You got Greg the Hammer Valentine. I He'd come out with a different coat for everybody. Like he must've owned his own air press, like air screening business at one point just to make his own damn coats and then of course you know he gets the huge one with hogan on top but i i always enjoyed him more as like that mid-card heel manager than i did with him on top it's funny like he fits more with honky tonk and like money inc than hogan right? <laughs> and beefcake jesus christ yeah it's like he didn't really fit as like a top baby face manager i know wcw he'll turn heel and, and end up with the giant and Sullivan dungeon of doom. But in WWF, it was like, eh, this is kind of weird. I know he was like his real life manager behind the yeah. scenes, but it's like, okay, that doesn't need to cross over. Hogan does not need a manager. And he was that old school kind of manager that would take care of both behind the yep. scenes as well as on camera. Whereas now there's so many manager and wrestler pairings that just have absolutely nothing to do with anything. And I think that's one of the reasons that Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman worked so well on camera for years was because Paul would just take care of everything and Brock could just show up and look like a menace. And yep. Brock likes that. Yep. It's going to say, make life easier for him. He'll, he'll love Heyman for life. Absolutely. So I got to put Jimmy Hart very, very high up on my list. I always thought he was great as far as just, he's annoying. He knows how to get heat. He could take good bumps. Um, he also created great music. Some, you know, some annoying, but some absolutely fantastic. Uh, I don't know. But he was just perfect manager. I, I, I guess I always liked him as that number two heel manager, right? Like if you were a main event heel, then you got Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah. If yep. you were a mid card heel or a super gimmicky kind of heel, you got Jimmy Hart, and Jimmy Hart yeah. excelled at that role. It was like a pecking order to it, like upper mid card, like honky tonk, Bundy if, at that point. Yep. Yep. If you're walking around in a suit and tie, you get Bobby the Brain Heenan. If you're, you know, the honky tonk man, you get Jimmy Hart. Yep. I always thought it was funny too, like how sometimes the guys would get like traded or sold or mm -hmm. like all of a sudden, like Bundy's not with Heenan anymore. He's with Jimmy Hart. Like I, I used to love that stuff because it's almost as like, you know, you're making transactions like, oh, this guy got traded. Oh, that's interesting. But didn't cool. you feel like he was taking a hit at his place on the card when you would go from Bobby Heenan to Jimmy Hart? Oh, yeah. You, and you could notice it, too, because obviously Bundy wasn't in the main events anymore. You know what I mean? Well, so, and, yeah. and, and I use this as my case for why Jimmy Hart is not necessarily high on my list. Like, I, I think a lot of people have Jimmy Hart a lot higher than what I consider him, because to me, he was a mid-card manager who ended up with Hogan and had a great run on top. All right. Fair. What about arguably the greatest manager of all time, the Slickster? Yeah, I mean, Slick had all of the pizzazz and the style that I wanted to see out of a manager. Um, how I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this. Being Slick inside of a 1980s WWF pro wrestling kind of context, how do you think Slick felt? being in the role that he was put um you know you know what i'm saying it's interesting because uh, i interviewed him not that long ago and he loved his run and all this other stuff but he definitely felt like there was a ceiling to it like he wasn't getting like he was he was getting some main events with uh boss man and hakeem no doubt about it but it was almost like he was like almost like an afterthought at times um i think he felt a little bit like he was the second fiddle 
if Jimmy Hart had not gotten the run on top with Hogan, would we think of Jimmy Hart and Slick very much in the same kind of context? Sure. I mean, I that, so. although I'd probably give um, Jimmy the advantage because that awesome icy title run from uh, Hunky Tonk. But yeah, very oh. similar. <laughs> very similar. It's awful. You're awful. Pause. I love just, HGM. You're just trolling me at this point. Trolling. But Slick, though, great theme song. Yeah, and he had the pizzazz, man. Like, I love Slick. Like, you felt like it was something to get excited about when you would hear the song come on. And he always delivered in a top-notch promo. And he, he just felt like a star. And Slick could elevate a talent by simply just being associated with him because he was over. And there was matter. a lot of managers that didn't work with. It didn't matter too much when he's with boss man, Hakeem, but like if he's with other guys, it's almost like he's too tall. You know what I mean? He's six, four, six, five. He's a pretty big guy. So it's yeah. like, if he's not with those guys, it's like, okay, this guy may be too tall to be manager just for the fact that he's really like, he's really damn tall. Like for just, just for a normal human, you know what I mean? Like, okay, you're in the wrestling business. You're not as tall, but when you start getting away from boss man, Hakeem, you're starting to look almost like a, a giant level. You're like, okay, this guy's huge. Well, and I think that's one thing that kind of gets lost when you, when you talk about managers is the appearance and how they look next to a talent. Right. Um, and and that's one of the things that's always worked for Paul Heyman, especially yeah. when you're in there with somebody like a Brock Lesnar or a Roman Reigns. And just the contrast between the two, as well as the personalities, that's what make it makes it work. Um, even like Paul Ellering. Ooh, like, that's a good one you know, 240 some pounds worth of Paul Ellering. It's not like he was a little dude, but my God, you put him in there with Hawk and animal and all of a sudden he looks freaking tiny, but he would go out there and just destroy you on the microphone. And then he, you'd get beat up by LOD. Crazy thing about Ellering is in the gym, just as strong as the road warriors, but different, different weights. I know he wouldn't do the, the same weights, but I'm sure he would do different workouts. I know he busted his knee tore it up really bad, kind of ended his in-ring career and made him more of a manager. But it was one of those things where it's like, this guy was a freak, a freak strong man, a strong as hell dude who could be an awesome uh, bodybuilder. But <laughs> next to the, you know, road warriors, it just doesn't look like it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where it might be true, but aesthetically it just doesn't look like, no way this guy's that strong. Look, look at the two freaks he's with. Apparently he was just as strong. And I really enjoyed his run with AOP. Mm-hmm. Um, which, man, yeah, was talk cool. about, Talk about a ball drop there. What happened yeah. to the authors of pain, right? Yep, that was but, cool, but what a drop, yep. Yeah, the, the run that he had with AOP inside of NXT, I mean, he really established them as, a, as soon as you saw them with Paul Ellering, you were like, oh, this is somebody to pay attention to. And it really felt like, you know, they were kind of a second coming of the Road Warriors where they were just coming out and destroying everybody. It was great stuff. Gotta love Ellering reading the uh, Wall Street Journal. Gotta love Yes. That. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I liked Precious Paul, too. Oh, yeah. Very eloquent. Very good speaker. Yes, very much so. But he, again, another one of those guys that when he would turn it up, when he would turn that intensity on, you would listen to Paul Ellering. Definitely. And it's one of those things where it's interesting when WWF brought him in in, in like, 92, it was almost like now they're bringing him in? Like, Okay. Right. <laughs> what took you so long? Yeah, and like Rocco, what the hell is this nonsense? Yeah, pretty yep. weird. Yep, absolutely. What about Mr. Fuji? Mr. Fuji, love me some Mr. Fuji back in the day. The salt in the eyes, right? Like when I think of kind of that '80s era manager, like Mr. Fuji was perfect because unlike Bobby Heenan, who just felt like he was playing himself. Unlike Jimmy Hart, who genuinely felt like he was just this annoying guy running around with a <laughs> microphone playing himself, like Mr. Fuji was a full on character that I, I just kind of fell in love with. Like there was something so cool and eloquent, like seeing the Japanese portrayed as something other than, you know, like Samurai Man, you know, like the suit and the tie, the salt in the eyes. Like it was just a great dynamic. I loved Mr. Fuji. Love me some Fuji as well. Thought he was great. Um, funny that you know he's not not a great speaker as far as English, but it didn't matter. Like worked in in that context. 
Yeah, it absolutely worked. Why? I don't know why though. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, oh, this. I never thought out. about yeah. that, but there's it's no like, reason that should have worked. But it just did. Yeah, it's like, oh, like I can barely understand him. Like, like, who cares? <laughs> it's right. It's great. Yeah. Have you, you seen? Talking about a lot of these, you know, wrestlers turned managers. Have you seen much Mr. Fuji matches? Not much. No, not on him either. I know there, there's a bunch of footage of him. I want to say it's Professor Tanaka as a tag team. Um, so there, I've seen some of their tag team matches and stuff, but not a lot. Not as like, not as much as obviously other guys. It just seems it's another weird kind of thing. But it's it's interesting because he's very much the same kind of wrestler. Like yeah. the pacing and whatnot to Mr. Fuji was just there was something perfect about it. Very, he's all like psychology and and mm-hmm. like you said that slow pace. You just hate, hate the guy. Very methodical. Yeah, you're just like I hate this guy. Yep. Yeah, very believable too. And then of course Gorilla Monsoon would constantly crack jokes about him, which made it even better. Of course. <laughs> what about Paul Bearer? I was wondering if we were going to get. The yeah, point. we're getting. Um, Paul Bearer in an era of managers becoming real people and becoming real managers was still a character. Um, and he was a incredible character, whether it was the work with undertaker or with Kane, the pairing of the three of them, it, it was just magic. Um, I, I love everything about Paul bear. And I just think that Percy was so freaking underrated as far as his character work alongside of guys like Undertaker and Kane, who are arguably the two greatest characters ever created inside of the WWF. I feel like Paul bear needs to be in that conversation too. He kept himself relevant as a character on screen for the better part of what 15 years doing that gimmick between, you know, the whole undertaker and Kane thing and going away from one coming back to the other, the whole father son kind of storyline. Like I thought it was just absolutely incredible. And then even in passing, you had the CM punk undertaker storyline that was kind of built around Paul bearer as well. I mean, not only one of the greatest managers of all time, but just one of the greatest characters of all time, whether it was the voice, the mannerisms, the fact that he actually was a freaking mortician. Like it's just incredible. The story of Paul bear and what he meant to the undertaker and Kane. And without him, I don't know if that storyline quite is as good as it was. I mean, he was perfect. Like it certainly doesn't run as long. No, definitely not. But just the way he acted about Kane, the way he was teasing the Undertaker, the way he'd cower from the Undertaker, then Kane shows up and he's, you know, he's he got a shit eating grin. He's all cocky. You know, like, oh, my Kane's going to get you. It was just, I don't know. He was so good in that. And uh, key cog in the wheel during the attitude ever. Very big cog in the wheel. Especially when you look at like the debut of the Undertaker and he comes in with Brother Love, right? Like, and it's yeah. just like, eh, okay. Yeah. But once, Weird. once you get fit. the pairing with Paul Bear, then it really takes off because Paul Bear would cut the promos and then you just get the, the deep, dark rest in peace out of Undertaker. It was just absolutely brilliant, dark, creepy. It was so different than everything else that was happening and the walking around with an urn. I'm not sure I even knew what an urn was before Paul Bear. True. Very good stuff there. I love that. What about J.J. Dillon? I mean, when you talk about, you know, the greatest factions of all time, we did a whole show about it. Horsemen, maybe. The horsemen always come up in that conversation. And JJ was the fifth horseman, you know? And JJ, a lot like Cornette, I always liked almost more as an authority figure, more as office than I did as a manager. Wow. Have you ever thought about JJ in that kind of context? Uh, well, just because WCW kind of had him almost playing like the goofy role sometimes, like, you know, telling Sting he's got his match against six or against Kurt Hennig. Like, you know, they kind of put him in some goofy spots. How much of that was just that he had good chemistry with Sting and they knew that from the horseman? Could be. Could be for sure. I just always thought like, oh, they're kind of making him look goofy. I know. I know the end game, though. They don't want to tell you you got Hogan right away. You make the crowd wait for it and get them all crazy, get them all amped. But I just always thought it was funny. I was like, oh, they got JJ's kind of almost got to play like the jackass or the fallout guy. 
JJ was, he was a great manager, but I'd never really felt like he did a whole lot as a manager other than react. Hmm. You know what I mean? Which when you're with the horsemen, when you're with the elite of the elite, you know, it's kind of like Brandon Cutler running around with the elite and inside of AEW. Like, why are you here, dude? Like you don't need to be here. Like you're the business guy. He was like a business manager versus like, an in-ring kind of manager. It was is a very different kind of dynamic with JJ. What about Miss Elizabeth? I mean, when you talk about the greatest storylines of all time, oh. you know, e- e- the mega powers explode is on the short list. And at the center of the whole thing was Elizabeth. The the run with Macho, the breakup with Macho, getting back together with Macho, the 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 wedding with Macho. Uh, even going all the way through the NWO and then of course her run with Hogan and as well as the mega powers. I mean, Elizabeth is, would you call Elizabeth a manager or a valet? That's true too. I think she's much more of a valet. I mean, cause I, as far as like being a manager, I mean, did, did she really ever be anything other than eye candy and react like she she was a great valet but i don't know if i even necessarily considers a miss elizabeth a manager Hmm. because i feel like there's a difference don't you it's a little bit because i was going to say woman too is kind of a manager but a little bit more of a valet whereas mm-hmm. like sunny came across more as a manager yes than either or, or Sherry, more of a manager than like what Liz was doing at that time. And Sonny would get physically involved. Both on camera and behind yeah. the scenes. Um, Gary Hart? He on your list? Gary Hart is on my list, but not necessarily high on my list. And, and, and again, it's kind of, I need more video footage. Like mm. it's, it's more what I've read versus what I've seen when it comes to Gary Hart. But yeah, on the list, absolutely. Very good and world class. Had a brief run in '89 in, in NWA slash WCW. It's interesting too because he's with Funk, he's with Muda, he's very good with them. But it was almost like he's almost like an afterthought, really. Because I mean, Flair's about to turn heel, and it's like, what do you really need him for? Is it being the heel going up against Flair? So, well, and if Muda would have spoke English, I don't feel like Gary Hart would have been there. You know what I mean? Like he he was just there. So right. that Muda would have a mouthpiece. Right. And he's probably there for Funk just to make sure Funk's getting booed <laughs> and making sure, you know, not getting over. Well, and kind of the, the Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman thing too, right? Like yep. you're going to give Terry Funk a live mi- microphone. I don't think so. Probably not. Not, not if we can help it. What about Paul Jones? Paul Jones. Absolutely on the list. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Skandar Akbar. I didn't even think about Skandar Akbar, but I should have. I should have because I was just reading. Oh my gosh, what was it? Was that the Jim Ross book where he t- he goes off in the second book? I think it is about some of his road stories with Skandar Akbar. Oh, I don't even know. That's great. Oh yeah, it's either the towards the end of the first book or like the very beginning of the second book. He talks about some uh, road trips with Skandar Akbar. Very very entertaining stuff. I feel like Akbar, obviously much more of a territorial guy with world class and mid south. But had he not been, had he been more national, I feel like he would get over pretty good. World class seemed like they liked managers a lot more than WWF. We know Vince has never been a huge fan of managers. He did it for a while in the eighties. He kind of, seems like he kind of goes in and out of whether he likes managers or not. But world-class seemed like they really, really relied on managers a lot more. Big time. They had a lot, and it seemed like. Um, WBF, you're right. I mean, they would be into it. They're not into it. They seemed like almost everybody had one and then didn't have one. Um, but Devastation, Inc. was definitely a great uh, heel faction for a while for Skandar Akbar. I'm just surprised he didn't go kind of anywhere else. I know he was comfortable down there in Texas. I know then eventually he'd be in global, too, for, for a hot minute, but... Surprised he can't even go anywhere else, like big time. Well, and now we're seeing it a lot inside of AEW, where it's not necessarily managers, but there's a lot of factions. Everybody's got somebody with them yep. down at the ring. Um, it, very, very almost overdone feeling inside of AEW. But 
does draw some comparisons to world class. Like it felt like every match there was at least two or three guys outside of the ring that was always there. So just some other random names I just wrote down. Nobody high on my list, but just throw them down. Anyway, Sheik Adnan El Casey, aka General Adnan, Arnie Skoland, the genius Lenny Poffo, Teddy Long. Did I miss anybody? Gato. I got to put Gato oh, on my okay. list. I mean, he, he was, you know, the architect of, you know, the 720-day run by Kazuchika Okada, and he's been doing some great stuff with Switchblade Jay White since he uh, turned on Okada and joined the Bullet Club. I, I think Gato is a fantastic manager, but it helps when you have the book. Hmm, good point. Anybody else I missed? I'm trying to think. Um, Nobody that really stands out to me, man. All right, then let's head towards... Uh... The victor, who is the greatest manager of all time, Michael P.S. Jargo? I mean, I got to stay consistent, right? It's Bobby the Brain Heenan. I mean, when I think back to all of the great managers throughout pro wrestling history, it's Bobby the Brain Heenan or somebody trying to be Bobby the Brain Heenan. The answer to me, clearly, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Did you ever call him Bobby the Stain? Heenan. No, I did not because I loved me some Bobby Heenan. Even when I was a little kid, I just, I, I was so entertained by Bobby the Brain. I just thought that was so funny. My uncle Big Michael used to call him that all the time. But the stain, <laughs> thought that was great. That's great. Uh, I too will have to go with Bobby the Brain as the greatest manager of all time. But who else would be in the in the uh, top five? There? Well, I mean, I, I've got to have Paul Heyman inside of that top five paul bear inside of the top five um captain lou i would put inside of the top five and then i would probably round things out um i'm gonna go with sherry oh wow okay i might probably agree i might pull out captain lou and put in cornet for my for myself but pretty uh pretty similar list though for sure um favorite Heyman guy or not Heyman guy excuse me Heenan guy you said was perfect I'll go with Mr. Perfect hands down I just I I just thought the pairing of those two guys together was absolutely perfect oh well said I gotta go Andre I think I think on that one I just loved Andre and Heenan together perfect I would have flair right up there too the whole the whole fair to flair Flair. you think about that how come they weren't being fair to flair do you ever think about that because well, Jack Tunney is no good. That's why. Well, well, there you go. That that makes absolute, completely logical sense. But you yeah, know, look. that's that's one of those pairings where it's like, did Ric Flair need a mouthpiece? No. I mean, come on, he's one of the greatest promos of all time. But Flair and Heenan together, just insufferable. Not the best. Um, I love that Hogan used to call him the no good Jack Tunney because, you know, as a kid, you're like, okay, I don't like Jack Tunney anymore. Hogan's saying he's no good. Like, he must be a heel, must be a bad guy. I always thought that was funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. I never really thought about it that way. Hogan never liked him for some reason. Oh. And he did always get booed. (laughs) Tunney was probably trying to take a spot, brother. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Can never trust that no good Jack Tunney. Um, I also loved Brooklyn Brawler with Heenan just because it was like, he just randomly <laughs> takes his chopper and he's going to put some, you know, Bobby the brain in to think on him and make him like, you know, make him like you want to watch him. Like I didn't even mind brawler versus red rooster on paper. That's horrible. But Heenan was involved. So it was kind of interesting. Well, and it was one of those things. Like when you look at the new Japan factions, right? Every faction has got to have a fall guy. Yeah. Yep. Got to have a fall guy. If you're going to be doing like a, a, a six-man tag, who's eating the pin? It's going to be the brawler. Yeah. Got to protect everybody else. I love it. Smart move. Poor Bushi. Bushi? Yeah, he's... Yeah. Oh, I guess he's kind of the full guy. Yeah. Poor Bushi. Yeah, like you look at the rest of Los and Gobert this day, Hapon, and it's like, you know, championship contenders throughout the entire faction. And then there's Bushi. They've got too many, um, too many factions going on right now. There's never yeah. too many factions. Never too yeah. many factions. But let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. Of course, Patreon. Patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo, we got. 
Find me over at my favorite faction, the Hameen Media Group, channelattitude.com. That's that's where all of us are running. Of course, over the Big Vito brand, the Big V Mafia on Twitter. I, I do occasional spots over at nodq.com, as well as at markmedia.com, michaeljargo.com, destinopod.com, Wrestle Kingdom preview incoming this weekend. I was very excited for Wrestle Kingdom, but not so much anymore. I just didn't like the matching, the match pairings for New Japan versus Noah. Kind of floundered. Night, night three is one of the biggest ball drops that I've seen in modern pro wrestling history. It's going to rival Ring of Honor inside of Madison Square Garden as far as uh, the major ball drops. But I am looking forward to night one and night two. Both look like absolutely fantastic cards, although they didn't need to be nine matches apiece. Yeah. Gotta cut those in half. Not in half, but by probably seven and seven. Just give me six. Like that right. was what that was what made NXT takeover so goddamn good. You'd get six really good matches and two and a half hours and everybody go home. Well said. I agree. But uh thank you, Michael PS Jargo. Thank you everybody out there for listening. See you right back here next week for uh, who is? See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.